Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Spike Lee's The Five Bloods and I'm happy to be joined once again for the second time in three weeks by Daniel Lima to talk about this one. Daniel, what's up? What's up? Not much. And I'm also joined by our friend Josh Brown. Josh, thanks for joining. Hey, man. Like, so you have him three times this month and this is my first time since The Hunt? This is how you do oh, it. You, you, did, you did Dog Day. Oh, well, okay, sure. Okay, okay. Never mind. Oh, you invited him for Dog Day and not me? This is how I... Well, no, Sydney, Sydney's his guy. But uh, today we're talking okay. about Spike, who I think to a certain extent might be all of our guys, because um, I think we all like his movies. And we're going to get to the five buds, uh, but I want to take a step back for a second, because to me, given what is going on in the country right now, it would feel a little weird to talk about a Spike Lee movie and confine the conversation to the movie in the movie only. At the same time, I'm not about to invite two black people in my podcast and make them answer an open-ended question like, how are you guys doing? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think like, that it, But my thing is just like, I know like when like you look at the calendar, I just know like, all right, the, the Five Bloods, the Spike Lee movie, that's when him and I are booked. That's, <laughs> that's the day we're coming. Yeah. Like, we're not going to about Spike. Spike Lee with Fred. Right. <laughs> 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 sure, <laughs> I think I think th- I think he'll appreciate that comment. Uh, but but yeah. So at the same time, though, like guys, I I I do think there's something in the idea where it's like, look, I mean, you should check in on your black friends, but you shouldn't just be like, how are you doing? You shouldn't make put it on them to answer a question that big. But at the same time, like I said, it would feel very very uh, I don't know. It would feel too narrow to not have a little bit of a larger discussion. And I thought it might be interested to do it in a, in a, and get at that in a different way because you guys are welcome to talk about how you're doing if you want. I'm certainly happy to hear that. But at the same time. You know, a common thing over the last few weeks has been white people asking for reading lists and watch lists that they can use to become more uh, knowledgeable about systemic racism. Given that, I think it is pretty fortuitous that we now have a Spike Lee movie coming out at this particular moment. But also that being said, I think a lot of these lists are more documentary focused. And thus, rather than just like asking you guys like a super broad question, I wanted to ask, and I guess I'll start with Josh because it has been longer since I've talked to him. Do you have thoughts on like what people should be watching right now? Is that something you've thought a lot about? And if there's a lot of value in doing something like that, uh, or is it wholly depend on the person that you are talking about? Because uh, I feel like maybe certain things maybe aren't as imperative for someone to watch if they like already accept that systemic racism is a thing and they're a little more knowledgeable about it even if there is something to learn you know what i'm saying i mean i i think there are certain types of films that like maybe my time is better spent doing something else than watching them so i guess my question for you is is that an idea that you've given a lot of thought recently is as you see people online saying you have to watch the 13th so if you really want to watch something that captures the honesty of the black experience uh, through tragedy and and also the joys I think you should watch Norbit Um, (laughs) (laughs) because I really think it's a movie that speaks to our times now. Um, But no, like in in all seriousness, you know, like the, you know, I think like, you know, everybody's like processing the George Floyd um, and the Black Lives Matter protests that are going on right now. And, you know, as a, a black male, it's a scary time, you know, like I'm, really getting more and more paranoid about policing and stuff like that. And so, um, but I understand like, you know, everybody's like processing, um, you know, the news differently. Like I remember, you know, the week of the protests, uh, the news were just, it was getting so grim and so dire 
um, as it was happening that like I was like, okay, if I watch something, uh, I just want to watch something that will take me uh, out of this. I just need something escapist, right? And then I see this like Sydney Lament movie uh, that like I hadn't seen before, but I'm like, yeah, Sydney's my guy. All right, let me play it. And what I'm watching is this movie about a corrupt police cop being investigated for br- uh, police brutality. Like I, that was just <laughs> random. I didn't I didn't know anything about it. What, 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 <laughs> what year did it, What year did it come out? Like 1970. Hmm. Um, and like, so here's the thing: thing. you kind of went wrong the moment you were like, "I need something light." What Sydney got for me? Let me see what Sydney Lumet has done. I want to. I need to relax. To be fair, the last thing I saw uh, from him was before that was The Wiz. So that's why I was like, this this could be fun. I don't know. Yeah, fair um, enough. But like, so like you know, I you know everybody's processing the information differently, and so I guess like you know to like white allies i don't know it just feels like a weird term but um so like you know if you want to like educate yourself and you know dive into more like uh works about black artists you know there's you know a litany to choose from and i don't necessarily you know on the one hand like i think like documentaries like i am not your negro or oj made in america really capture and really comprehensive uh 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 terms about like the you know the incarceration system in america and policing and just systemic racism and i think those are you know valuable and worth watching but also you know in the non-fiction side there's a lot of work you know by black artists from you know the 60s and 70s um that you know haven't been shed light on that it's worth discovering now or and even work that you know black artists had to make under like maybe a white director like uptight by jules de and stuff like that but i still capture like you know the black identity you know and so i think that's worth discovering like just on criterion alone like i watched this movie called losing ground which was made by this black female filmmaker and in and it was just like you know like a kind of like almost like uh like a woody allen like you know uh movie about like romance between these two intellectuals or whatever that i just never heard of and just you know it was interesting and i and then it's kind of great that you know you have you know like everything from like charles burnett to ozzy davis and oscar um uh oscar michelle Michelle. Michelle. yeah uh like you can explore right now and daniel actually is probably like really more well-versed in like black cinema of like the 70s uh, than I am. So, like, well, I'm sure he has his recommendations. Well, well yeah, especially in, like, I, I would say probably even more so in fiction than nonfiction when you go back to that point for what your, where your film knowledge is, Daniel. But I was going to ask then, given everything Josh just ran through, do you think there's a particular value of Spike Lee movies at this point in time compared to, like, maybe some of those nonfiction movies? Do I think that it's worth watching fiction more than uh, uh, nonfiction? Uh, I wouldn't well, say that Not necessarily more. one more than the other, but, I mean, for, for a particular type oh, yeah, of, of, for, for a particular type of viewer, absolutely, maybe. Absolutely, there's a value in it. Because I think that, you know, the same way that art touches upon every aspect of the human existence, I think that, you know, even fictional art, you know, speaks to the experiences of black Americans in a way that might be palatable to people who have not had that experience. You know, you look at do the right thing and, you know, you have so many people going like, oh, man, what's going on right now? It's just like do the right thing. And yes, it is. But also do the right thing is a reflection of, you know, being black in the 1980s. And, you know, you watch it now and you're like, oh, 
it's so not relevant yeah it's so not relevant this is why we need this is why we need green book this is why (laughs) we need no no i'm kidding i'm kidding but yes of course there's a value to you know going and experiencing the works of spike lee isaac dixon um who's the director of shaft again i'm I'm sorry his name escapes me right now Uh, i'm thinking uh, gordon willis i mean no yeah yeah, yeah, Gordon, Gordon, Gordon Willis. Gordon, Gordon Parks. Gordon Parks. Gordon, Gordon Parks. Parks. Yeah, who's Gordon Willis again? The cinematographer. Mm, yeah, there you go. Hey, hey, come on, it's easy to get mixed up. Mixed up. Um, you know, it's we, something we, that we, we shouldn't get mixed up on. Like, we should know. We know Gordon <laughs> Parks. Gordon Parks. We know Jr. who Gordon Parks is. We know Gordon Parks Jr., who did uh, Superfly, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, and there's all these undiscovered movies that nobody ever really goes back to talk about. Five on the black hand side, about you know this black family unit, you know, in this changing time period where you know people are black families are achieving middle class status, and what does that? How does that conflict with their, you know, uh, uh, their, their, you know, how does their class conflict with their race or inform it? And it, 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 there's so much to go out and discover. Uh, so much that covers experience is not only relevant then but relevant now of course absolutely and spike lee of course is one of the most important you know black filmmakers ever so yes go watch some spike lee <laughs> yeah well i guess my what, what i was thinking of though is because like i was like am i like not doing enough to like become more educated if i don't want to dive in well i have seen oj made in america but let's just say for someone who hasn't who maybe uh, is otherwise in every way like me that to see or, or even something like uh when the levees broke or something like well 13 is only like a regular movie length but you know I, a term that uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of bomani jones who i know you guys aren't huge sports guys but he's a big commentator that also you know talks a lot about culture and stuff like that and is really good at talking about a lot of these issues and a lot of people will ask him if he's like watched certain things like this or oh have you watched 12 years a slave and he he tells them i don't do recreational sadness and <laughs> I like is, that line. I like that line. Yeah, he's like, look, if I'm gonna like take the time to like, if I'm off the clock, I'm not working, and I'm gonna do something for myself, I'm not gonna just go and like immerse myself in something that's gonna make me feel sad when I already kind of know how I should maybe feel about an issue like this. And I yeah, kind of, I'm gonna admit, I do, I feel like exactly like that in terms of some black artists. Yeah. I don't, you know, what's his, what's his name? Barry Jenkins. <clears throat> Barry Jenkins. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't really feel the need to go out and watch something like, you know, Just Mercy or Selma yeah, even. No, or, I don't care how much white guilt is happening right now. You guys can't, like, convince me You to are watch. never gonna sit me... Yeah, you're never sitting us down to watch Just Mercy. I'm sorry. I know how that story goes. I don't need to see it. But, you know, really? I, of course there is value in that if you're not, you know, immersed in these issues. If you don't have to live them as a daily experience, of course there is a value to films like those. But I'm with you. And, you know, the thing is, the black experience, it's not, it's not all sadness. It's just one of the things that makes me mad at Barry Jenkins. You know, you look at Spike Lee. He's a man who does cover the black, you know, black issues. He's a black man who wants to put his life onto film in a digestible way. And he does so. And he, you know, talks about, you know, the sadness, the tragedy. But it's never just that. There's yeah. more to the black experience than just victimhood. And I appreciate yeah. that in all his films. And even in the messier ones, like like the Five Bloods. Well, yeah, and like, and the thing I like about Spike too is just like, as you said, it's not just the tragedy and pain, but it's also the joys of the black experience as well. Like, you know, you may remember the third act of Do the Right Thing, but it also comes with you know this vibrant you know rest of the movie with these you know people just living their lives and having fun and 
you know, the vitality of the of the world that Spike creates is is equally as par- important as like the serious message that he wants to convey. Genuinely, like the very first scene of the Five Bloods, where they're all you know all these you know returned Vietnam veterans are meeting with each other in the hotel lobby. Like I I I, I teared up a little bit. I teared up a little bit. I'm thinking in my head, man, I can't wait you know to experience that sort of old man old black dude <laughs> brotherhood you know me jb mo like just getting together man and oh it's man it brings dogs. a tear to your eye yeah <laughs> you know it's a you know and they're bonded not only you know through like their experiences w- in war but also in their experiences on the streets of america like it's it's and it's a powerful the, thing the like you know like what are they dancing to on the dance floor it's marvin gay you know what i mean mm. like um, and that's the equally uh, integral part of like you know, these Spike Lee films and how tapped in he is with the culture. Like you know him like propping up uh, public, you know, incorporating public enemy, I should say, and like do the right thing. Like um, and also in that montage, like which I I love the opening montage where he's giving this like history lesson of the Vietnam War and how it, it corresponds to like the black experience. But even in there, you have like little spikely touches of levity. Like uh, he refers to the moon as the moon and <laughs> the white house. Like, and I'm just like, ah, like you, Spike. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I guess those moments like that, or just anything that kind of makes you laugh and takes you and, and takes you to a happier place, is is part of why I wanted to have this discussion because. Again, thinking about it, and again, this probably really just depends on the type of white person you're talking about, but I, I kind of felt bad. Like, you know, I, I, I go back to, and I kept seeing everyone say, you have to watch the 13th. You have to watch the 13th. And it's like... A black uh, man, I'll tell you this. You could read the new, uh, the book, The New uh, Jim Crow, and don't have to watch the 13th. I'm well, do I, like, but, but I, I, I would categorize reading The New Jim Crow in maybe the same way. It's something I've struggled with, where it's like, I, say, I, I don't even read fiction for fun. I wish I did, but it's like, it's almost like a thing in my brain where as a lawyer I'm reading shit all day and it's just like I, I need to like rest that part of my brain that does that work at the end of the day and I'm just it's just hard for me to read to really make that a priority these days so I don't really read that much either and it's like am I not being as good as I can be if I don't read the new Jim Crow or I don't watch the 13th because I feel like maybe I haven't had good enough handle on this stuff that I don't need to educate myself in that way but I'm happy to go watch another Spike Lee movie and it feels like a lot of his movies are in dialogue with each other about a lot of these issues and is it okay to do my homework that way? Because I um, look, look, bro. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna absolve you of the need <laughs> to go, to go, like you know, right. read a well, book on yeah. like you know racial injustice. But that being said, I'm not going to condemn you for right. not doing it either. But yeah, I can't, I, I can't tell you one way or the other what you have to do and what you don't have to do i just like there's like a but, black film syllabus you know like, <laughs> <laughs> everyone needs to get around to these and if you don't you're not an ally no i don't look, but if you didn't okay. get around to glitter like it, it's okay <laughs> <laughs> well yeah no it, it's just something i've been thinking about a lot because like i watched i watched you the right thing again for the first time in a while and uh i'd almost I mean not that I, I i knew what happened and i knew what the last act was but i think i did for i might have forgotten just how fun it actually is like even though i knew there were fun parts like how really the first hour and a half of that movie just like it goes like really really quickly josh should we lose you yeah. No, I'm okay. listening. Your screen froze up, and you for like, and you had like a smug look on your face. No, his screen didn't. His screen didn't freeze up. That's just his face. Yeah, that's my resting smug face. You know. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. So I mean, just I, I think I forgot just how 
how fun do the right thing was and like that first hour and a half is i mean yeah there might be some tense moments in it but it's like okay well and i'm still thinking about it i've seen it multiple times before and i'm still thinking about it three days later and it's like i think this is a more fun way to stimulate my mind and i i guess i was curious i'm like i'm not here to make you guys like the arbiter of all white people but i was kind of curious where you where where you kind of thought oh i'd like to be (laughs) where you where you kind of thought people should just be kind of focusing their focusing their energies and when it comes to consuming popular culture at this time because it is an interesting time when you're combining with covid and there's people have more time than ever to watch this stuff you know yeah, look, hey man, like I get the i the, the the reticence at like delving into some you know dry text or whatever about racial injustice when you already have a sort of understanding of the underlying issues, and you know the fact is something like Spike Lee, a uh, Spike Lee movie is able to get across you know this injustice while still you know in some ways delivering the message more powerfully because you're you know be caring for you know actual characters versus like you know reading stats about you know uh uh you know the criminal justice system but that being said you know i I wouldn't say you know that's a substitute i don't think that spike lee movies are a substitute to actually going out and reading some books or watching some documentaries and learning actual you know concrete information but you know it's a good supplement you know yeah go ahead and watch this shit man when you, when, when, when you guys see what's gone on for the last few weeks, what do you think about when you think Spike Lee, given what's going on the last few weeks, does it give you any kind of greater appreciation for him in, in any way, given that it's like, man, like, it is kind of crazy that we're going through all this right now, and it's like, it still feels like all this stuff is as relevant as ever, because I, I, I just keep thinking about that, and yeah, I've always thought about how Do the Right Thing is unfortunately pretty timeless, but I've just gone back and watched a few other movies of his from like the 90s and stuff, and it's like, it's just, it's just kind of crazy that everything still feels like so... Uh, all of it feels so insightful and prescient. Oh, all I was just going to say was like one thing that I liked about the five bloods. So when we talk about like the career of Spike Lee and how he sort of bucked the trend that, you know, uh, bestows most black filmmakers, especially of his generation um, where they didn't have very long careers is that, you know, what I like about the five bloods is that like, well, Spike Lee has had such a long and storied enough career that he's afforded, his own version of an old man movie like John Ford, Howard Hawks, Spielberg, Scorsese get to make. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. Like that, like, cause we've never had like a, like a black filmmaker have a long enough career where they can be like reflecting on a, on getting old. And, and we, we've seen this many times from other like masterful filmmakers, but to just see Spike, Spike Lee tackle this genre, which is usually, you know, usually with the old man movie, you have to accept the fact that it's messier or um, not as you know thrilling as like their previous works, but it's usually the type of films where they evoke the most introspection. And the fact that we get it from this filmmaker is a testament to Spike's achievement as a filmmaker to last this long when many didn't. Yeah, I think that that's an important thing to note. He's he's the dude who's been in the business the longest. Ivy Dixon, you know, he made like two movies. You know, uh, Gordon Parks made like two movies. This dude has been putting out stuff every single year since like the 80s. You know, and now that he has this long body of work, now that he has had this experience in America, which let's get this clear, being a black man in America at the age of 50, it's an achievement. It's an achievement no matter what you're doing. And for him to be doing it in this industry and be able to, you know, look back on it, yeah, it, it, it's it's a special kind of thing. Do he, I, he, although, he's, do 63. I think, he's 63 now, not 50. 
Is he? Well, yeah. damn. But like, but let me tell you, he's a good looking sixty-three-year-old uh, black. Don't I'm crack. telling you, I'm telling you. And beyond that, I do want to note that no, my opinion of him has not changed over the past couple weeks because it was already high as shit. He's the fucking man. I love Spike Lee. I love what he does, even when he what he does is is a is a little messy. Yeah, and I and, and, and I, I think you're hitting at the movie, and, and and I'll get there now because I would say. Uh, that might've been a sloppy way to word that question, but I think it just kind of like, it, it kind of gave me a renewed appreciation for, for his t- timing and sense of the moment. And I, I'm giving him too much credit almost, but I think it's kind of funny. I was just thinking as I was thinking about the five bloods after I watched it. And when we first found out what the movie was kind of going to be about, I really didn't read that much more than like the initial kind of two sentence, one sentence plot synopsis, summary tagline, what, what have you about just like, Oh, these guys going back to find their, their buddies remains. And I didn't really know anything beyond that. And I probably should have had an idea of what it was going to be based on what Spike does his movies on. But I'm like, oh, it's just going to I had the very reductive reaction to reading that thinking, oh, it's going to be like uh, his version of Linklater's Last Flag Flying, which I kind of want to maybe touch on a little bit, because I think Josh probably actually likes that movie better than The Five Woods, uh, based on what I know, about uh, his opinions <laughs> of these movies. And but I, I kind of thought like, wow, like he obviously didn't time it to come out knowing what was going to be going on in this moment. But uh, for those of the listeners that might be bigger sports fans, there was a big controversy a couple weeks ago about Drew Brees of the Saints. I don't know if either of you guys saw this. Yeah, where he he was just, he was doing, for some reason, an interview with Yahoo Finance. And uh, and this was after the protests had already kind of started a little bit. And they asked him, like, in let's just say he would put a black box on Instagram, but that was about the extent of what he did. And they asked him, well, you know, in light of what the country's going through right now, do you think uh, we should give Colin Kaepernick another chance? Do you think we maybe misunderstood him the first time around? He was basically just like, look, I, I have no respect for anyone that's not going to respect our flag because I have two grandpas that fought in World War II. And if you don't stand for the national anthem, then you're then you're just disrespecting my grandpas, was basically what he said. And then he got a whole torrential downpour of shit from like the entire NFL, including like his black teammates saying, yeah, look, a lot of us have grandpas that fought in World War II and like things weren't so hot for them and they don't see America the same way. And I'm like, and once I actually saw this movie and I realized what it, what it was going to be about, I was like, wow, it's kind of wild that like Spike just like has that kind of timing. Even if he didn't mean to have it, it just kind of shows just how, how he really does have his finger on the pulse of like a lot of stuff that's going on in the country, maybe even more so than any of us or even him know. And that was just kind of a general big picture thought I had about Spike. And on top of everyone always saying how like, yeah, it's kind of sad because do the right thing feels like way too relevant at the moment. But uh, I should say, as far as the five bloods, uh, for those of you who are still listening to us ramble on at this point and uh, haven't seen it, it's, it, it, it follows the story of uh, four Vietnam veterans who uh, go back to try and track down uh, the remains of one of their uh, old infantry uh, so, soldier, an older soldier that led their infantry. The guys are named Paul, played by Delroy Lindo, who is a bit of a regular from Spike Lee movies of the 90s. Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who's also been in a couple Spike Lee movies himself, but you might know him better as uh, Clay Davis from The Wire. He plays Melvin. A guy named Norm Lewis, who this is really freaking confusing because uh, there's another Norm in the movie, but Norm Lewis plays Eddie, who I don't think a lot of people know who Norm Lewis is. Apparently, he's a theater actor. And then Clark Peters, who you might also know from The Wire or Red Hook Summer, plays Otis. And the four of them are going to try and retrieve the remains of Norman Earl Storman Norm Holloway, who was played in flashbacks by Chadwick Boseman. 
and they're eventually joined by Paul's son, David, played by Jonathan Majors, who you might know from Last Man in San Francisco. But they're not just going to get the remains. They're also going to track down some hidden treasure that they uh, they, they kind of discovered in, in the course of a mission when and that was intended to uh, be payment to the Native people that were helping them fight against the Viet Cong. And as they do this, they reflect on their time and flash back to it and uh, talk a lot about, about about how America treated them after they got home from the war. So the movie goes in a lot of different directions and uh, focuses on a lot of different things because it's very long. And I think Josh and Daniel are going to have kind of thoughts on that as well. But I guess I'll just start by saying first, though, I, going back to what I was saying about the Drew Brees stuff, and I just thought it was kind of really cool how I was able to think about that as I was watching it and how... Yeah, I kind of knew that, obviously, I mean, a lot of veterans have it pretty bad, even white veterans, so it kind of made sense that, yeah, things are going to be even worse for black veterans, but uh, even getting beyond that, just the fact that, like, wow, it probably really would screw with your head if you were kind of sent over to fight for a lot of freedoms that, in some ways, you aren't even afforded on the home front, and yeah, maybe I'd thought about that before, but never I did I really sit with that thought in the way I did when I was sitting with this movie and I sat with this movie for a long time because it's a long fucking movie. Uh, but I, I, the, the biggest compliment I'll give the movie, and I think I liked it more than you guys, though, is that it goes in all, it does go in all those different directions that we talked about. And it has a lot of different spike-isms where it kind of goes off on one digression here, one digression there. But throughout it all, I really never stopped thinking about that uh, the whole time. Just really that it never loses sight of the fact that you're just th- kind of thinking about how look, these guys have really, really gone through it and they really fought a pointless war for for what... It's got to be really hard for them to kind of live life knowing what they sacrificed. They lost their friend. They saw some horrors and it really turned into nothing. And I spent the whole movie thinking about that no matter what other tangents the movie went on, which I, I think is a testament to that Spike could kind of get that message across, even if he really kind of went off in a lot of different directions. So, Daniel, I'll ask you, because you've already kind of hinted at it a couple of times. Do you think this movie's a mess, or is that simplifying your opinion? No, this movie's a mess. <laughs> look, hey, look, here's the thing. Um, I have a lot of respect for Spike Lee, and I have a lot of respect for the swings that he takes. He always devotes himself, commits himself completely to whatever he's trying to attack or, you know, uh, 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 investigate in a film here. I believe that the intent was to, uh, you know, just chart. It's, it's a, this is a film ultimately about colonialism to me, colonialism and nationalism. It's about, uh, you know, black men forced to fight for a country that they don't, that doesn't respect them. Meanwhile, they're, they've bought into some of the, you know, values instilled into their country. It is still their home. And, you know, you watch as how they uh, uh, deal with the natives of the country where they went and they fought for freedoms that they didn't have for a country that hated them and, you know, not show the same respect to these people who they went to fight an unjust war against who also suffered at the hands of colonial powers that didn't respect them for who they were. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a very complex issue, uh, you know, even attacking, you know, even investigating it from a, like a nonfiction perspective. And, you know, Spike is a guy who's not afraid to go off on a tangent a little bit. This is a very broad issue. And the result is moments where you're like, wait, I thought that we were talking about, wait, what, what are we doing? Like he jumps around a lot. Sometimes within a scene, I'm left kind of scratching my head as to what exactly is is, is supposed to be happening right here. What exactly am I supposed to be feeling? Especially like, I think the first, the moment where I started to go, Oh, this might be a little, 
this might be a little messy is when um, one of the characters, the returning one of the returning Vietnam vets, you know, goes to see um, his ex flame and then he runs into his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and like and like, you know, and that's when you run into this other Spike Lee instinct of melodrama where he, you know, he. It's not in the same way as, you know, I often lament when I watch a Barry Jenkins movie where I think that he prefers the overtures of human emotion to the actual people experiencing them. But Spike Lee, like, he's such a big picture guy, but he also has so much love for the people that populate his movies, the figures in his movies, that he wants to express that love in the biggest way possible. And sometimes those 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 instincts, the instinct to investigate everything possible, leave nothing on the table, and the instinct to you know, delve into who these people are, like they conflict with each other in chaotic ways. See, the only thing I would like to piggyback on Dan, like I have like the same general opinion of the movie as well, where like, um, I, I also found it pretty messy. I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I really, I did like it because I think there are, the thing with Spike being messy is the fact that, um, in that stew, there are flashes of, brilliance and greatness like there are sequences that i think are some of the best he has ever you know done um you know from the opening montage to the uh the tense uh uh scene where they're trying to get the uh, jonathan majors off the landmine but that being said and i and keep in mind i want to commend spike for the amount of swings that he does take because not just like not just you know in terms of like going on a day uh, on a digression or anything like that but also stylistically each movie like if you think like Chirac it's this you know Greek opera uh, um, and it's like you know like you have like it has its own dialogue that you have to just accept or in this movie where he takes the stylistic swing of like not doing the anti-Irishman which is not even like bothering to the age that it's just like (laughs) or recast it just like and and just like he's always inventing and reinventing all the time while still being you know spike um i just think like my problem with like here's the thing i remember when black clansman came out and me and daniel were both really high on it um i remember like i seeing a lot of critics being like uh like you know this is not even like my 10th the 10th best spike uh film like this is just like a career like oscar you know it treated it like you know, like the departed, which I love. I'm like, fuck you all. Like, even if that is like a career Oscar, like that is better than most movies that come out this uh, came out that year. And um, I'm, I'm for both Black Landsman and Departed. Yeah, um, but like, what I would do is what what I feel about like those people like who are like I don't really get the love for Black Landsman, and I also was kind of annoyed that it came from like. Like, people started feeling that way, it seemed, just because Boots Riley, like, you know, decided to talk, you know, attack the Talk king. some shit. With that, yeah. that doesn't even relate to the movie. Anyways, we're getting off on a tangent ourselves. <laughs> Look at how Spike Lee. Look at how Spike Lee does. He makes <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's how I feel about uh, The Five Bloods, where I'm just like, really? This I like I like the movie. I get it. But, like, you, like, like, you know, I, I like Crooklyn over this, you know? Yeah, like, I, I'm with you there. I think that this movie, you know, the fact is he's talking about things that, I mean, 
the fact that, you know, uh, Jernavoy, the fact that you were like, oh, well, it's something that I hadn't really considered, like the fact that these black men, you know, go over to Vietnam to fight for freedoms that they don't have. I'm like, that, that's just, that's, that's, that's what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. We think about that all the time. <laughs> like, like that's just an ingrained fact. Well, well, they got, like, I mean, they, 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 they can get drafted then though. <laughs> Say again? They can get drafted then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like, that's what I mean. Like they were forced to fight wars, you know, that white, you know, young white men were able to get out of, you know, right, President right. Bone Spurs, you know, um, <laughs> Which great great moment in the movie? Uh, great they, moment in the movie, and I should I, actually I should point that out. Um, one of the characters, this uh, Vietnam vet returning, is actually like a Trumper. Like he's very uh, Del- Delroy Windows Paul. Yes, yes. yeah, and he, yeah, he drinks the Kool Aid. He fully buys into the uh, American lie. Uh, he's basically everything that you know the director Spike Lee would hate, and yet he he paints him with a very in a very sympathetic light he looks at this man and sees him as somebody who has to believe in yeah he's been bamboozled but it's almost like he has to believe this lie he has to believe that there is some some meaning to all the lies that he's been fed all the times that he's been beaten down he sort of becomes like a self-hating black man because of ptsd PTSD of like fighting in the war and fighting it like and living in America as a black man. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it, and the fact that he does paint such a sympathetic light of a figure that he probably would you know hate in real life. You know, Spike Lee would not like that character if he was a real man. But you know, he has to paint him with that sympathetic brush because you know he has a love for these people and he has a love uh, and he wants. I should say he wants to take the broadest possible view of the effects of colonialism and of nationalism on, you know, the human experience. And that includes people like him. He can't just ignore that aspect. So you did like that choice because that was a choice. I mean, they didn't have to go all the way and make him wear a MAGA hat, but you did it. You, you did kind of oh. like the way they pulled it off. Um, I respect the way he pulled it okay. off. <laughs> I respect that he, I respect, I respect I, I really like that aspect of it. Like, I thought, like, for the reasons Daniel mentioned, like, yeah, and also it, he's not wearing, like, it's not like he's wearing the MAGA hat to, like, signify that he's this, you know, ster- he's the villain of the group, even though he, he you know, he's clearly modeled after Humphrey Bogart's character in Sierra Ma- Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Uh, and, you know, like that character, he's, you know, has greed, take the best of him. But even so, like. But here's he, the funny thing. He doesn't even t- let greed take the best of him. He's not even really in it for the gold. It's it, it's it corrupts him, but not in the same way as the characters in Traitor of Sierra Madre, where you know, clear Averis is setting them against each other. He's his issue is trauma. His issue is the trauma of the war and the trauma on the home front. You know, like he ultimately what drives him drives a wedge between him and you know his friends and family. It's not it's not material gain. It's the idea that they have betrayed him also, not just the world that he was born into, not just society as a whole, his friends and family. That's what makes him snap. Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah. I, and, I, and, I, and I can see that. I, I, I just, you know, um, I, you know, I did find him like a complex character and I thought like they pulled off that aspect of it well. And also I thought Delroy Lindo's performance uh, was phenomenal. Like I had like rewatch, 
uh, I had not rewatched. I had watched uh, before the movie uh, Clockers and realized, huh, Delroy Lindo is in a lot of Spike Lee movies because I remember him at essentially playing Spike's dad in Crooklyn. And, and I forgot that he was in Malcolm X as like the gangster in the beginning of the movie. And just like, right. you know, he's he's always a great presence. But like this movie is really like just a showcase for how underrated of a talent he's been. Like after the end of the, at the end of the movie, I was like, you know, I'm kind of mad that like Delroy Lindo wasn't like an action star. Like we didn't get like an era of like his like Liam Neeson movies. <laughs> like because mm. I would watch that. And and, he, and and there's a scene where he gets like a soliloquy to the camera. Um, and again, another bold stylistic uh, uh, Spike choice, but it's you know it works. Like uh, um, he, he he and he, and he's kind of like Spike there, where you know Spike is a you know like. Sometimes Spike can get a little bit too didactic, right? And sometimes it can be a little bit uh, uh, simplistic. Um, but uh, and I think and some of that is in this movie where it does get very didactic at times. But like I think there's even though like uh, Daniel was saying that like Delroy Leno's character is someone that like Spike would hate in real life. He's kind of the Spike Lee of the movie where he like at least in that moment where he's getting on his like. Uh, um, uh, on, on his pedestal and just like telling us, hey, you guys got to listen to this. You know, I have this uh, coming out of me. Delroy Lindo was born in November of 1952. And Liam Neeson, I just looked it up, was born in June of 1952. So I think there's still time. We can still have the, he can still have his action renaissance. It's like, since we're still in the, we're still in the middle of it for Liam Neeson. I do, I do want to ask you guys though about the, just the action of it all because I do think that's pretty interesting for a Spike movie. But let me ask you first actually because one thing I'm interested in to get your guys' thoughts on is Spike like, this is kind of like Black Klansman in that like Spike glommed onto a script that some white dudes had already written and then made it and then made it his own. And except this is even more different from Black Klansman in that like the movie was originally about white guys and he's like no i'm gonna make it about black guys and i I, yeah. I could not imagine a movie that i'd be less interested in seeing really than whatever the white version of this movie is i just don't even understand well, like how that's said the white version of this movie is triple frontier that's true actually yeah and i actually did i didn't mind parts of triple frontier it was not not definitely not my favorite jc shandor but i guess yeah. there's a way to do it i'd say there's a little more a, I don't even know if there's, no, I mean, I, that, that is a good point. I, I, I take that back. I do know what the white version looks like, but I, I think I like this better. But uh, what did you yeah. think of, what, what do you think about this movie? And just like, I mean, what do you think about this particular movie, though, and him redoing it that way? Like, what did you think when you even heard that? Because I didn't know that till like after I watched it, I think. I literally didn't know that until just now. Oh, um, okay. I will say, I will say, I will say though that that makes a certain sort of sense. Um, I see a world where this movie is just kind of a vehicle for like you know maybe American guilt, white guilt, and more uh, streamlined, like more focus on the pulpy aspects of it. Yeah, more is interested in the plot with you know Spike Lee taking the helm of a war movie. He has a certainly different perspective on the idea of the, you know, Vietnam War on war in general than a white dude who, you know, was all, had always had an out when it came yeah. to, like, you know, uh, participating in war. That wasn't always the case with black Americans. I know that Spike Lee must have had, you know, if not, you know, friends, like, you know, uh, you know, his dad's friends, his family members who went to Vietnam and fucking died for no goddamn reason. <laughs> and he's pissed off about it. And he has a different perspective than most. I mean, I don't know how many Vietnam War movies 
do we have that come from a black perspective? None. Um, like, yeah, exactly. So, and like um, the other thing too, like when you were asking, like, how do I feel about like Spike, like you know, retrofitting this, like you know, probably just like this pulpy tale, and it could have been good, who knows? But like, it just would have been a more you know drama focused movie. Um, my thing is, and I think I messaged Daniel this is, you know, there's you know Spike, you know, with Inside Man. It, like he shows like like his commercial promise like if he just took like you know director for higher jobs and just did these like uh you know tony scott films or something like that or like money train like i'm sure it'd be more interesting than the films that we've gotten like you could see like him and denzel like making cool action films or whatever and i and i would be very excited because like he would inject those socio uh political themes into it like inside man is a great film a great heist film but it's also a film that deals with race and uh, maybe like uh more subtly than uh other spike lee films but they deal with race and anti-semitism and all this other stuff and so um i so like i knew i i had known that he had rich and the thing that i found because i know that like he and his newfound co-writer kevin wilmont who he started working with since Chirac and who also did Black Klansman and Black Klansman was another film where they retrofitted the script, um, uh, for, uh, Spike. Um, I, I, what I thought, I, what I didn't realize, cause like when I was doing my Spike, uh, uh, like watching, uh, Spike deep cuts, when I was watching Clockers, I found out that that book, um, was focused more the book that the film's based off of, which Scorsese was originally going to direct, was based off of uh, was more focused on the Harvey Keitel, the white character, than the uh, black uh, uh, person in the in the film. And I'm like, oh, that's he's been doing this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's his instinct. I, I will say though that um, you know while I appreciate the black perspective. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to put this without sounding like an indictment. And it's not really meant to be. But um, I do think, like I said at the start, this is a movie about colonialism more generally. It's about American colonialism of Africa. And it's also in part about, uh, you know, the French colonialism in uh, Southeast Asia. And I don't know that he handles that aspect of the film with the same sort of care and nuance as he does with the, uh, with the, you know, the experiences of black men in this war. Yeah. They kind of just like happen to come across this French woman that kind of spells it all out. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's not necessarily poorly handled, but it just never really clicks to me. There's an interesting interplay there in that, you know, you know, you've got this, you know, Trump, black Trumper, you know, who's, you know, clearly harboring animosity towards, you know, the people in this country, despite the fact he acknowledges that the war he fought here was unjust. And yet, you know, he still harbors these, these, you know, uh, hatreds that perhaps aren't very deserved. I don't think that Spike Lee means to ignore that you know that that part of the movie, but I think that it just loses focus compared to you know his interrogation of these black men and their role in the world. Yeah, um, let me ask. That, I heard. Uh, I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm guessing. I don't know. Have you guys seen the extended cut of Apocalypse Now? Because I realized yeah. I hadn't when I heard people talk about how there's like a digression there about a French plantation. Yeah. So yeah, like in the in Apocalypse because it's in uh, the redo uh, uh, version. Redux. Yeah. Redux. Yeah. See, I thought it was pronounced redo. <laughs> 
Actually, no, it might be. It might be, yeah, but I, I yeah. always, but I've always read it as Redux. Redux. You know, I, I read it as Redux, but then like I, I, I think I heard it. Pretty, I think the X this is, is silent. Great radio. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I've in the uh, Redux or Redo version of it. Uh, there's this French plantation scene, which like I hate it. It just drags the movie to a halt. Now I actually thought like he kind of did this. That French girl scene kind of is that i've seen in apocalypse now um but it's distilled in a much uh, uh streamlined way that i appreciated and got the job the message across um also your, your boy paul walter hauser yeah yeah like, uh, but he ends like up becoming one of the five bloods <laughs> you know, you know, no, I'm not. I'm not joking. You, I, I, actually, I did want to point. I forgot to mention this. Like at the very end of the movie, I guess spoiler alert. But if you're listening to this, I mean, you probably watched the movie, right? Um, so at Netflix, the end of the go movie, watch it and come back. Say again, yeah, you're gonna want to go finish that movie. It might be, it might be a couple of days later, but do watch that. Come back here, yeah. but. At the end of the movie, uh, you know, this platoon is devastated. You know, only one survivor of the original five bloods, but. Um, yeah, there's like a final shot after this, you know, big gun battle, and you've got Otis, you know, the original. You've got the son of Paul, and then you've got these two, uh, this, this French lady. You've got this American played by <laughs> that that one white guy who's being passed around. It also, like it also sounded like Benja. it sounded like he was doing an accent when he first introduces himself to David. It was very weird. No, no, no. He's just no, just he's got a weird. He's just a weird dude. Yeah, and. Um, and you've got uh, Johnny, Johnny Wynn, Johnny Wynn playing Vin, their their guide, and it's five of them together. And I, I, I'm not sure if he's trying to like imply like a you know a multicultural bond being formed, like you know from the ashes of this old world. You know, the villain of this movie ultimately is this French dude out of all things, which mm-hmm. makes me think, you know, Spike, he's still not over Khan. He's still not over Cans. I'm sorry. Like, he's still mad. Do the right thing should have won. You know, he's going to kill the guy who uh, he's going to kill Leon the professional just just out of spite. But anyways, um, I digress. Uh, it's a movie that ends with this multinational, multi-ethnic union being wrought from the blood of the, you know, the past, which I it, it just the fact that he doesn't hone in too much on, uh, you know, French colonialism and the interplay between uh, black Americans and similarities between black Americans and the Vietnamese. Like it, it, it makes it kind of not hit in the same way that I think and, he intended it to. And I also think the other problem too, is like, I never bought the relationship between the French girl and Jonathan majors because like at the end of the film, like towards the third act where, um, you know, Jonathan, they did the to, the white uh, people that's also like traveling through the jungle, uh, the five bloods uh, or the four bloods save uh, Delroy Lindo's son from a landmine. And after they do that, Delroy Lindo, um, you know, starts having them, even though they had saved his son's life, he, he makes uh, them tie them up or whatever. And, uh, and I just never bought that, like, after, like, because, like, Spike, you know, sure, in that moment, like, the girl's, like, mad at uh, the son who, like, previously they were kind of attracted to each other. Um, like, he the, the flip when, like, they have to she get them back on their side towards the end, I never bought that because I'm like, 
no one would react in this situation after they had saved your life and then you held them hostage, like that they'd be still like remote romantically involved with you. It's just like a weird, like, I don't know. It's one of those, it's one of those Spike Lee, like in a sense, he's, he's, he's a little bit just too focused on, on the emotion of the thing rather than like the, the character's motivations, I guess. Yeah. She just didn't feel fully developed for me for the type of thing that, for the type of plot uh, device they needed her to do at the end. Like, uh, it just logically just didn't feel, like, emotionally true at all. So, mm, I'm with like, you. I mean, if there's one point part of the plot that doesn't work for me as much, like, I, I don't know, the shagginess and the digressions really, I mean, I was still pretty engaged the whole time, but I would say it is around that point where they do kind of split up into teams and they go ahead to that, is it a temple? What is it? Um Temple. <laughs> They go to that temple, and it's like, what is their plan? I don't really know. They're going to run to there and just kind of, like, figure it out. And, like, I did lose the thread a little bit there. That's, like, the one stretch. They went, there for, they went, they went there for, like, a final stand sort of thing with the forces of uh, the dude who they realized double-crossed them. Yeah, like, it, 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 I don't know. It, I, which, I mean, like, who know, I, they end up having a fairly good, I mean, decent enough plan, I guess, for the – people that it works out for but it, I, I i was a little unclear exactly what they thought the uh where they th- how they saw that going so it, it was a little unclear to me and between that and like you said it's a little hard to follow the the, the attraction non-attraction between the two of them like if there's any one part that again that i'm a little more critical of it's probably that stretch of the movie whereas most of the rest of it i there wasn't any point where i was like all right i don't think this is good i mean yeah i i think that for me the issue in that last act of the movie it's less that it doesn't make any sense or that i'm not following it's more that um the plot sort of gets into what in the way of the message which is the far more intriguing part of the movie for me um yeah and like because like because he tries to go back and forth especially with like the flashback scenes where like even talked about those what how did you feel about the flashbacks and chadwick of it all see actually you know okay so like you know, I I was kind of uh, uh, souring on Chadwick after like uh, uh, Black Panther because you know he totally gets outshined by like Michael B. Jordan in that movie. And here I'm like, he does, you know, like because all he has to be is like a presence in the film, and um, and he does that, you know, like that bat, that black like rebellion um, philosopher uh, uh, soldier thing pretty well. And so like. Um, but he's, he's, he feels more like a king in this movie than he does in Black Panther. That's yeah, it's, it's weird. Like I, I, I've never seen Get On Up, so I ne- didn't see him play James Brown. And maybe I would feel differently about him as an actor if I had. So I've really only seen him as uh, as T'Challa and as like Jackie Robinson in Forty Two, which isn't exactly like the most. I mean, maybe Jackie Robinson. I don't know. It, was, it, it didn't strike me as like the most charismatic performance. Looking back on him as Jackie Robinson, so I kind of enjoyed him like being a little more like outwardly charismatic and colorful here. I I, I thought he was actually pretty good. But uh, sorry, I kind of cut you off, Josh. Like, did those scenes on the whole work for you, or along with enjoying him? I think it is because again, like back to it. it it goes back and forth so many times. So like some of it does, and I think some of it probably doesn't. Um, um, but like, I think those, there are, I think the stuff as like Daniel was saying, like, uh, when he, I think he uses the flashback sequences the most to, uh, convey his actual message. And I think in like when he gets close, like sort of doing his essay on American history through these sequences, I think that's when 
they click the most. Um, and but when it, I think actually when the pulpier stuff, the action stuff, kind of enters the fray in those sequences, that I guess that's when it kind of loses me a little bit. I agree with you. The action is actually not not very good. Uh, it's a lot of just one person shooting and then another person shooting and then it's you know reverse of, shot reverse shot it's like you know but you it's kind of enjoyable because you're just seeing these old dudes like, like well yeah it's, I, it's, a, a, it's enjoyable well, i, I want to like, talk he about doesn't at all try to gh these moments no yeah I'm, I'm, he's just like yeah no they're old I'm glad, I'm, yeah and I'm, I'm glad you said that daniel because i want to talk about it because i actually like the other action in this movie that's not in the flashback uh, the, the, the landmine sequence is just tense. That, like, well, yeah, that and like the kind of standoff they have at the end. And I could take or leave the actual action in the flashback, but I agree in that I just I, I like the non de aging choice. It was a little disorienting at first. Once I and once I figured out what was going on, I liked it, and I thought, oh, this is a, like a really smart choice by Spike, like to not do it because I mean, one, it might be distracting too. It, these guys th- these are memories these guys have lived with their whole lives so they are these old dudes thinking back on it and it kind of makes sense that they would be thinking of, as they're thinking about it as 68 year olds they might just see themselves in it in that spot and then i i saw somewhere else where he was just like yeah we didn't have the budget marty had we're not going to go through all that trouble so maybe it was almost more of just the budgetary constraints pushed them there but i thought it actually really worked yeah and i agree Apparently in movies, uh, I, I heard that like Spike doesn't like uh, when you have a casting younger actor to play, um, uh, and then like you know have like we have to have yeah, to and cast- Malcolm X like. 42-year-old Denzel is playing, like, 17-year-old Malcolm X. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's like, and it works. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, yeah, like, I, that was, like, one of those things where, like, um, until you said, I'm like, I'm like, okay, when was the other time where he had, he, he must have done this before, and then I was like, yeah, no, and Malcolm X is in three <laughs> hours of Denzel. <laughs> to be fair, Michael Ma- Malcolm X didn't live very long, so, you know, like, there's yeah. not as much time you have to cover. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I bet you... It, it, it's kind of funny because like you know i like the irishman a lot i know daniel does not but like um i feel like there's probably a little bit more effect like because you know when i watched the irishman like the whole time i was watching i'm like all right i don't really think that the aging thing is like that great but like i wouldn't really care if like you know you told me that like robert de niro is like 50 right now you know what i mean like yeah i i, I don't i don't feel this i don't feel the same way about the irishman <laughs> but i will say that yeah i agree i think that it's a good choice here i think that it allows you to you know relate to the characters and that you're not bouncing around and thinking okay no that's the 20 year old version of himself no that's just him you know i think that it's actually a very unique bold choice it's the kind of swing that i like to see spike lee take you know he's changing the aspect ratio i don't think he's changing the film stock or anything like that but it just it looks like a new, you know, the, the aspect ratio changes, and it feels like you're watching a television. Like it looks like footage that you would see on TV from Vietnam. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, and my thing with, with Spike is just like I always admire that he's just swinging. And again, like I don't like you know I I, I like the movie. I think there's flashes of brilliance. There's also stuff like you know. Like, it was funny because I saw this on the same day as The King of Staten Island. I was just like, both movies are, like, the best and worst of these directors' instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but also, like, it, it go to show you, like, what, like editing in both cases, like, showing you, like, what these directors bring to the table that we can't necessarily take for granted. And with Spike, you know, like, I think me and Daniel, like, uh, uh, and we were both really high on Spike. Spike is one of our favorite directors, but we had this conversation 
like shot some of the worst. JB, scenes. you're gonna have to you're gonna have to go back. Go back to saying nothing about conversation. Start that sentence again. Um, we Daniel and I were having this conversation about Spike Lee, and um, we were thinking like, as much as we love him, uh, he's also a director who's like shot some some of the worst scenes of any like great director. Like at, like you could go through a lot of his films and a lot of films I love where you're like, you know, there's a scene in that movie that just is bad. Like yeah. <laughs> one that I'm guessing you guys don't love. I've never seen Miracle at Santa Ana. Have you guys? No, no I, actually, I've been trying to see. That's the ironic thing. I've been, I was considering watching it, and then I saw that it wasn't on the streaming servers I had, and I was like, well, I don't feel like ranting it. You know, uh, I, I meant to though. I would, I would have paid for <laughs> it if, if I felt like taking the time. But it's like it's even longer than this movie. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's that's the other reason that kept me. From and people say it's not good, so it's like I, I just got to, I got to prioritize. I don't my trust time. that. Here's the thing. Well, yeah. I. Yeah. yeah, I never trust anyone on Spike Lee movies again because I think that you know that there's a consensus that oh well Spike Lee he's you know you know he had his rough period or whatever and then you go back and you watch the movies from his supposed rough period like Bamboozled and you're like oh this is actually really great this is nuanced even if it doesn't entirely work like he's doing something interesting here and there and you would definitely have given this like a little more of a chance if this wasn't Spike Lee. This is true, yeah, and, and, no, and, like, I, and yeah, and I, I should say I'm 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 someone who's been trying to watch Bamboozled for a while. It's not that widely available, so I'm, not, I'm I would still watch Miracle at Santa Ana at some point. It was just in my limited time, I just didn't get to it. But when Josh said the thing about him taking big swings, I thought about that movie because it was a big swing. I know that much. It just it didn't make a lot of money, but it it was a big ambitious project. And I just thought like I, me, someone that hadn't seen that, I'd never really seen Spike do action before. Obviously, the the last act of Do the Right Thing is really well choreographed and there it's action in its own way but i've never seen him do like this kind of action with like this kind of this kind of shootout these kind of tense moments whether it be the whether it be the shootout or it be the landmine sequence like or there's two different shootouts really and then there's the landmine sequence like stuff like that i didn't know that like I, i'm not surprised spike could do it i just really hadn't seen him do it so it was really like a a, a cool revelation for me you know by the way, like in this conversation, like uh, we all have like admitted to like not having uh, seen a few like Spike Lee movies, and then and like I want like the listener to know that, like Spike is also like one of my most watched directors of all time. Like I think I have seen seventeen films of this. When I say that I haven't seen certain Spike Lee movies, it's just because his filmography is so long. The man makes a movie one per year. Like, yeah, uh, I'm at like, I'm at 16 with the five bloods and I still haven't seen like uh summer. Of Sam. We should also point out the movies yeah. that we haven't seen are the movies that were a lot of people haven't seen like summer of Sam, uh, get on the bus. Sh- she hate me. That one, that one I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to watch. Girl six, um, six, yeah, yeah, Red Hook oh, Summer. Yeah, like, I've, I've seen fifteen of them, so I'm kind of right around where you guys are. Uh, and but yeah, I mean, it's not for lack of trying. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm getting there. So, I only had a couple more bigger picture question for you guys, but uh, did you have any other thoughts just like on the on the, on the plot in general and parts of the story we didn't? Did you see the Did you see the landmine thing coming from a mile away as soon as we met those yeah, characters? Yeah, yeah. As soon as we yeah, as soon as we got a white character say, oh yeah, I uninstall mainlines. I was like, oh, someone's gonna step on a motherfucking landmine. I know that it's gonna happen. And honestly, I think that he's as soon as like they start finding the gold on that hillside. I kept thinking got, one of them. Gonna, detector. Yeah, yeah. As soon as he did, I was like, okay. At some point, when, and then right in that scene where he starts walking away from the group, I was like, okay, it, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's about to hit a landmine. So I mean, that was kind of telegraphed, but like again, that scene was still like super intense, and I 
thought that was very well done and a way of a, a cool way of generating a lot of tension without a lot of uh, gunfight uh, gunfighting and all that. I don't know, uh, Josh. Anything else before I ask you guys my last couple of questions? I want to ask. Uh, no. Um. Uh. I, like I. I just kind of agreed that like you know the five bloods. Even though it's not my favorite amongst this work, it's you know it's definitely worth checking out. Um. And I feel like you know I'm glad that a lot of people are getting a lot of out of it. Uh, and because you know I like seeing Spike Lee finally being appreciated. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. Do you think he can? Uh, I mean, I guess we're never. We're, it's a Netflix movie, so we're not going to know how much money it made. I'm sure a lot of people are going to watch it because, again, like a lot of people will just watch stuff just because it's on Netflix, regardless of quality. And people have a lot more time to watch stuff now. But I'm wondering, do you think like Spike Lee can like leverage any kind of success this movie has into getting like one of his passion projects made that we've always heard about? Yeah, because he wants to do um, a biopic about Joe uh, uh, Joe Lewis that he wrote with. Bud Schulberg. He has a lot. Of, he, I guess there's a lot of un, like unproduced Spike Lee scripts. There's the Joe Lewis one. Inside Man Two. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's the Jackie Robin. He, well, that wasn't a. I don't know. Well, Inside Man no, wasn't no, a Spike no, Lee script. You no, know, like Spike Lee had said that, like he, like he thought after the success of Inside Man, like he really wanted to do a sequel, but like the studio just it took a long time to get a script, but then like the studio was kind of like reluctant. Like, oh, he wrote it though. Huh? He wrote it. Um, I don't think he oh, wrote okay. it. I think he had like a screenplay commissioned, but like I, gotcha. I just know that like that was a project that like uh, he couldn't get made. Um, I, well, there's that. There's the L.A. riots thing, which I don't know if that would be too on the nose. And there's a Jackie Robinson one, but like I, I didn't know if that was something you'd give it any thought. If he could leverage his cachet in the current moment to find into getting like another big budget film of his made, because he only really ever it's it's a fight for him to get funding sometimes, you know. Yeah, he had to get turned to Kickstarter, but um, I yeah, like the thing I really just want—I don't know, like what uh, projects he could probably get made now, um, especially in this climate where COVID's probably gonna uh, make studios that are now hurting for cash uh, be right, even more right. skivers. But like, I do hope that one day we get the Spike Lee uh, biopic of Jesse Jackson's 1980s presidential run. I'll watch that. I'll watch anything the man does. Yeah, no, that was. I don't know if that was more of a more of a Josh question or not. I don't know if you have any feelings on that, Daniel. But that was just kind of a thought I had had when I heard someone talking. I because I, I, I'd heard about some of these. Like I'd heard about the Joe Lewis and the Jackie Robinson thing, but I hadn't even heard that he had like wanted to do an L.A. riots thing at some point and hadn't gotten made. And I was like, man, it would be cool if he could. And he said he just can't get the money he needs to do the Jackie Robinson thing the way he does it. So I was just like, I don't know. It just seems like this. This should be a moment for him, but I guess that the COVID thing is like a real going to put a real damper on stuff because who knows there could just be like an even bigger uh, drought of like movies of the kind of budgets that he would ideally get being made because of that. All right, before we sign off, uh, I, and I think I, again, I think all of us would still say you should watch this movie, even if Josh and Daniel maybe weren't quite as high in it, high in it as I was. Uh, so I think we all recommend it, but is there anything else you want to recommend right now, Daniel? I mean, as we, before we sign off, just other streaming recommendations, things you, things you've enjoyed in the last week. Um, well, I actually haven't been seeing that many movies. I've mostly been just watching Godfrey Ho movies because I have been wanting to like, you know, take my mind off of something lighthearted and unlike JB, I'm not going to Sydney Lumet for it. You know, no, I'm mm. going to watch some colorful ass ninjas, but I will recommend two movies uh, based uh, that star two of the actors from this film. Uh, Johnny Wynn, who plays uh, their Vietnamese guide through the jungle. Uh, he's the star of a Thai martial arts action movie called Power Kids about a bunch of Thai boxing kids 
who are trapped in a hospital when terrorists take over and they have to kick their ass. There's a scene in this movie where a 15-year-old kicks a terrorist who's on fire uh, down a flight of stairs, and it's as awesome as it sounds. That one's on Tubi and also on YouTube Free, which I didn't realize was a thing. And then there's Veronica uh, Veronica Ngo. I don't know how to pronounce her name correctly. I apologize. She plays um, Hanoi Hannah in this movie, and she does it very well. And she's the star of a film called Fury, which was a Viet- um, uh, Vietnamese action movie from last year, one of the greatest movies of the year. And uh, she plays a it's like a it's like a taken sort of thing. Her daughter is abducted by gangsters in the city and she has to go back to her old underworld life in order to track her down. She gives one of the a tremendous performance, one of the best of last year. That one you can find on Netflix. All right. Uh, Josh, anything you've watched in the last couple of weeks you want to recommend to the people? Yeah, so like the five best movies I watched under quarantine were the best movie I watched during this whole time period, all year, is this um, Japanese uh, thriller called uh, Cure. It's kind of it's a serial killer that's like sort of like their answer to Seven, and it's just sort of it's a weird. It has a crazy premise for a serial killer movie where it's about um, the serial killer who doesn't kill anyone. Instead, he hypnotizes people to innocent people to commit to commit an act of murder. Right, and so this is just like any anybody he's getting in contact in contact with uh, eventually becomes a murderer. So it's like a kind of cool like metaphor for like uh, um, you know a play, if you will. You know, so timely. Um, and then the other movies, like I saw Mildred Pierce, the original nineteen fifties one. It's you know heralded as one of the great women pictures, and I think as a really towering Oscar winning performance by Joan Crawford. Uh, what makes it kind of special is like imagine like a melodrama via a murder mystery, like a film noir. And then the other one is Data Towners, which is like the studio comedy from 1970s starring Jack Lemon. Um, yeah, I've been meaning and, to watch that myself. Yeah, like, oh yeah, by the way, Pierce on Criterion and uh, Mildred Pierce I saw on like the TCM movie app. But um, I think Out of Towners is Criterion too, isn't it? Yeah, it was. I'm not sure if it's still uh, on there, but Out of Towners is like a really hilarious comedy about like the sh- how stressful it is to navigate through New York City, especially without um, cell phones. Like it's just like a, just about this couple who come from Indiana and they're there for the husband's job interview, and everything goes wrong, and it's just funny. And then the other um, two movies, Hell's a Pop, and this movie's notoriously hard to find. But if you watch it on YouTube, it's an old universal movie, and it's just like, I don't know. Like To me, I've never been a Marx Brothers fan, but uh, um, this is like the Marx Brothers movie I would I, I wish they had made or whatever. And it's just a, just a farcical, really meta comedy where just anything can happen in it. It's, it's, and finally, the last like you know great movie I saw under quarantine was The Host by Bong Joon-ho. I'm trying to... I'm almost done with his filmography. I only have Mother left. But, yeah, Bong Joon-ho rarely misses. Like, it's really hard to, like, uh, classify your favorite Bong Joon-ho movie because he just uh, keeps making a lot of great ones. And that's a fun monster movie if you're willing to check him out after his Parasite win. Yeah, also, host might hit a little close to home during uh, COVID, though. Uh, I Yeah, uh, okay, I'll, I'll be quick. I, I, I've 
two recommendations. I don't want to talk about two. I've mostly watched Spike Lee the last couple of weeks, so I don't want to dwell too much on it because we just talked about Spike a lot. But if you have HBO Max, Four Little Girls is on there, as is When the Levees Broke, I guess, because that was an HBO production. But uh, Four Little Girls is really good, and it's it tells the story of you know the four girls that died in the Birmingham bombings in 1963. And, I mean, again, if you we, we talked a lot about that at the beginning, but if you want to dip back into something that is kind of sad and nonfiction, but uh, maybe has something else going forward aside from just being sad, it does have interesting parallels to what's going on right now. I knew the story of the bombing, but I didn't really know the larger context around it, and that it really kind of was its own was it was was its own kind of spark to the civil rights era in its own way. And there, I feel like there's some parallels to going on right now. How we, it, things feel a little different now than they have at any point in the last seven years or so. And yeah, it, it, it's just really well done, and it's you can really tell that tell that Spike handles that material with great care. And as far as a non-Spike thing, I watched Marty, the 1955 Best Picture winner, uh, starring Ernest uh, Borg. Borg Borgenine? Borg, how do you spell it? Do you know how to pronounce his name, Josh? Yeah. Yeah, Ernest Borgenine. Borgenine, yeah. Plays, as Josh derisively called him, an incel that lives at home. It's uh, I, 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 a sweet movie, sweet. You're, you're an average sweet incel movie. Uh, and he, you know, he's a guy that just, um, you know, is the ripe old age of 34 and hasn't found love. And uh, it's about him trying to f- find someone in New York and finding someone that some may think is not the best for him. But, you know, he might have to find his own path. And it's a great script by Patty Chayefsky and really feels pretty timeless a lot of the conversations they have more so than most movies that are 65 years old and uh it's it's available on amazon prime and it's it's a really easy watch an hour and a half and this feels pretty of the moment for something that old and i highly recommend it it's very charming maybe not laugh out loud funny to the point where i'd say it's like a rom-com but there's not a lot of movies from that time that feel like they handle that subject matter in such a such a such, such an accessible way so highly recommend that as well uh i want to thank josh and daniel again for joining if you have any other recommendations on things we should cover you can hit us up on twitter at the rewind movie pod or email the rewind movie pod at gmail.com i'm as usual josh shernavoy j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y on twitter and letterbox so get check us out there i'm sure josh and daniel will probably be back at some time before quarantining is done next week i think we might uh finish out my personal mcu watch list because i've never seen the incredible hulk so i think i'm going to actually watch that and talk about it with maya our marvel correspondent because why not watch the incredible hulk what else is there to do right now so everyone stay tuned for that and we'll see you next time